This episode is sponsored by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Named the best podcast of 2018 by Apple. Tons of fascinating guests. Untold stories you won't hear anywhere else. Expand your wisdom and discover other perspectives that you've never considered before with The Jordan Harbinger Show. Join Jordan as he interviews high-profile people as well as intriguing personalities. Each episode features a discussion that might just take you anywhere. I recommend episode 970, where Jordan and guest Annie Jacobson talk nuclear annihilation. How likely is it? How scared should you be? And what comes after? There's also episode 886 with David Farina, which delves into the wacky world of flat earthers. These episodes are great starting points, but you're sure to find deep, interesting, and thought-provoking topics throughout Jordan's catalog. Turn off the music and turn up the wisdom with The Jordan Harbinger Show. We really enjoy this show and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. Check out jordanharbinger.com start for some episode recommendations or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Beware the Redwood Bureau, a secret organization which captures and researches creatures and objects that defy explanation. Their reckless procedures have led to countless innocent lives lost. I am Agent Conroy. I worked for the Redwood Bureau, but I have escaped them to leak their reports to the unsuspecting public. You have the right to know. the extraordinary hides in the shadows, of the, in mundane. the shadows of the mundane. There exist truths that challenge the fabric of our perceived reality. I was once an enforcer of the Redwood Bureau and a keeper of its secrets. Now, I reveal those truths I was forced to conceal. The hidden world lurks in the shadows, full of forbidden knowledge and mysteries that often go unnoticed by those not looking. Dismissed as mere anomalies or products of the imagination, these unexplained occurrences weave a tapestry of enigmas that the Redwood Bureau strives to keep concealed from the public eye. Consider the thousands of unexplained sightings across the globe. Lights in the sky, untraceable sounds echoing through empty spaces, and countless other anomalies. These are not mere coincidences or quirks of nature. They are breadcrumb trails to the inexplicable, usually terrifying, and far too often deadly. Every year, our world witnesses the end of approximately 60 million stories. Each number in this staggering statistic represents an individual life, a unique journey that has reached its conclusion. It's a natural cycle, one that touches every corner of our existence. Yet within the shadows of these endings, there lie possibilities, 
unexplained phenomena that challenge what we consider the natural order. These are the stories that often go untold, the truths that become buried by those who seek to control powers beyond human understanding. During my years with the Redwood Bureau, there was a case that first taught me our place in this world. It happened in a secluded village in Spain, known for its ancient traditions and deep-rooted superstitions. The villagers whispered in fear of a sinister phenomenon that occurred once every decade. On the night of the autumnal equinox, the air would grow thick with an inexplicable fog, and a terrifying howl would echo through the streets. By the morning, one house in the village would be found in ruins, the family gone without a trace. The Bureau had been monitoring these incidents for years, but it was during my tenure they decided to send a team. I was part of that team. Our mission was to observe, and if possible, contain. As the night fell, the fog descended like a shroud, and the howl, a sound so unnatural it chilled us to the bone, began. We watched, stunned, as a house in the heart of the village was engulfed in a spectral light. When the light faded, the house was nothing but rubble, and the family within was gone along with it. We scoured the remains for any clue, any trace of the lost family, but they had vanished into thin air. The only thing we found was an ancient symbol etched into the ground, pulsating with a malevolent energy. That night changed everything I thought I knew about the world. It was a grim reminder that there are forces at play in our universe that are beyond our comprehension, forces that the Bureau seeks to manipulate and control. I bring to light one such phenomenon, a case that exemplifies the Bureau's relentless pursuit of controlling the unexplainable, of owning what it doesn't yet understand. These stories, hidden within the Bureau's secretive archives, are more than mere recordings and words on a page. They are records of lives lost, of windows into the uncharted territories of our existence. So, as we delve into this account, open your mind to the possibilities that exist beyond the veil of the ordinary. For in the world of the Redwood Bureau, the line between the possible and the impossible is not just blurred, it's non-existent. It's non-existent. Start from the beginning, Anders. What happened at the school? Tell me everything. It was Ellie. She was there with, with her parents. They, they were dead, but they were moving. She was moving them. Explain. What do you mean she was moving them? She just stood there, talking softly, and then the corpses... You could tell they were dead from their injuries and the blood. They started attacking the students. <sighs> Did anyone try to stop her? Where were you? We... We couldn't do anything. I was in my office watching. Floating objects. Heads. Severed heads floating up and down the hallway. The, the bodies, they were blocking the doors grabbing anyone who got close and tearing them apart. I need to understand the extent of her abilities. Was there anything she said? An indication of her intentions? I don't... I can't... It was all so fast. 
She mentioned something about silence and everyone being her friends when they die. We have to move. This will escalate to apocalyptic if she gets to a city. Please, can I go? Just let me leave and go far away from here. No witnesses. Make sure containment and sweepers are right behind us. On it. Dear Diary, I found you hidden in the attic under a pile of old books and dusty things nobody wants. You're kind of like me, forgotten and left alone. I don't have anyone to talk to, so maybe I can talk to you. People at school are mean. They call me names, and when I walk by, they whisper and laugh. I don't like them either. They're always so loud and always moving. Not like the dead things. They're quiet. They listen. Mom and Dad are always mad at me. I heard them again last night. They said I'm the problem, that I'm ruining everything. They said the neighbors complain about me, that I'm bad for the town and their business. I heard Dad say he wished I was different. I wish I could be different too, then maybe they'd love me. I don't understand why I'm not like everyone else. I've tried plenty of times to talk and play, to fit in, but everyone just pushes me away. They call me creepy and a freak. Most of the time, I wish I could just disappear. Go somewhere far away where nobody can find me. Somewhere quiet, like the woods, but much further where I would never have to see any of them again. Just me and my friends. They never laugh. They never whisper. Mom and Dad don't go into the woods. They say it's dirty. That it's not a place for a girl. But they don't know anything about my place. It's where I can breathe. Where I can be myself. No expectations. No disappointments. I don't know what's wrong with me. Why can't I just be normal? Why can't I be like them? But then... When I'm in the woods, with the silence and my friends, I don't worry about being like them. I'm okay being me. Ellie Dear Diary, today was worse than usual. The home phone rang and when I picked it up, I overheard my teacher Mrs. Henderson telling mom that I'm a bad influence on the other kids. My mom just apologized and said she knows. She didn't even defend me. I wanted to scream, to tell them they're wrong about me. But I couldn't. I just ran out of the house and into the woods to my secret place. Earlier in class, all the kids were talking about some party everyone's going to. I know I won't be invited. I never am. I sat in the back drawing in my notebook, but then Mark grabbed it and started showing everyone my drawings. My private drawings of my friends, 
They laughed and called me freak. I snatched it back, but the damage was done. I feel so alone, diary. Like I'm from another planet. At home, it's no better. Mom and Dad barely talk to me. When they do, it's just to yell at me for what I've done wrong. Or how I should try to be more normal. Dinner was silent again. They talk to each other, but not to me. I'm like a ghost in my own home. After dinner, I found a dead crow by the street. It's bigger than the others. I felt sad for it. It looked like it had been strong and proud once. I still think it is, and now it's one of my friends. They understand me. They don't laugh or talk about me. I wish I could just stay in the woods with them, away from the whispers, the laughter, and the looks. Just me, my friends, and the quiet. It's the only place I feel like me. The only place I feel safe. Why can't they see that I'm not weird? I'm just different. But maybe different is bad. Maybe that's why they hate me. I don't know, diary. I just don't know. Ellie. Dear diary, today's entry is different. I've been thinking a lot about when I was younger. I remember being little and feeling like maybe things would get better as I grew up. But looking back, they never did. I actually think they got worse. I remember when I first found a dead bird. I was maybe six. It was lying under the big oak tree in our backyard, its tiny wings folded. I wasn't scared. I was curious. I felt sad for it, but in a weird way, it also made me feel less alone. I took it and hid it in my secret place in the woods. That was my first friend. Eventually I found other things too. A squirrel, a fox once, even a small deer. I know it's not what girls my age usually like, but I can't help it. They're my friends. At school, things have gotten worse. Today, during lunch, some kids started throwing food at me, laughing and calling me Roadkill Ellie. I tried to ignore them, but it's hard. I don't know why they hate me so much. What did I ever do to them? I ended up eating in a bathroom stall. When I got home, I overheard Dad talking. He was saying how he's tired of the weird looks people give him because of me. He said he wished I was old enough to leave. It hurt, Diary. It really did. I wish I could be what they want, but I don't even know how. The forest is my escape. It's the only place where I can breathe, where I can be myself. When I'm there with the trees and my friends, I feel like I'm part of something, like I belong. Sometimes, I wish I could just stay there forever.
But then there are nights, like tonight. I heard something. It wasn't an animal. It was like a whisper. More like a feeling. It made my skin crawl. I don't know what it was. I don't know what I'm going to do, diary. I just know I can't keep going like this. I'm tired of being alone. Tired of being scared. But what choice do I have? Ellie. Dear Diary, Dad found out about the raccoon today. He was furious. You can't keep doing this, Ellie, he yelled. You're scaring everyone. He said Mr. Thompson from his work saw me. He was mocking Dad, saying his daughter's the town freak. Dad looked so embarrassed and angry. I tried to explain about the raccoon's peaceful face. But Dad didn't listen. He never does. I ran to the woods to my safe place. It's the only place where I feel like I belong. I spent the whole day there, sitting with my friends. They don't scream or get angry. They just listen. Sometimes, I think they understand me more than anyone else. It got dark, and I decided to stay the night. The woods at night are different. They're alive with sounds, but not like the town. These sounds are gentle, soothing. The rustling leaves, the distant hoot of an owl. It's like they're singing me a lullaby. I thought about school, about how everyone laughs and whispers when I walk by. Ellie's weird, they say. Ellie talks to dead things. I don't talk to them. Not really. I just like to be around them. They're calm. They're quiet. They don't judge me. I wish mom and dad could understand, but they're too worried about what people think. They're always saying things like, Why can't you be like other girls? Or why do you have to be so strange? It hurts, diary. It hurts that they can't just accept me. I don't have friends. Not human ones, anyway. People think I'm creepy. Maybe I am. Maybe there's something wrong with me. But in the woods, with my friends, I feel right. I feel like this is the one place I belong. I don't know what will happen when I go back home. Will Dad still be angry? Will Mom look at me with that disappointed face? I hate that face. It makes me feel like I'm broken. Like I'm something that needs to be fixed. But I don't know how to be someone else, Diary. This is who I am. I just wish they could see that. I wish they could see me. Ellie Dear Diary, I came home today. Not one noticed I was gone all night. Not a single word. I walked through the door, expecting yelling. Maybe some concern. But there was nothing. Just silence. 
Mom was in the kitchen, pretending I didn't exist. Dad just buried himself in his newspaper. It's like last night never happened. Like I never happened. I thought maybe school would call. Ask why I wasn't there yesterday. But they didn't. No one cares. Not really. It's like I could disappear and it wouldn't make any difference to anyone. They'd probably be happy. I used to hope, Diary, hope that one day they'd see me, really see me for who I am. But now I don't know. What's the point? I'm tired of trying to fit into this world. It's clear I don't belong. I never have. I remember when I was younger, how I'd try to play with the other kids. They'd just laugh and run away. I stopped trying after a while. It hurt less to just be alone. At dinner, I sat at the table, but I was invisible. Mom and Dad talked about their day, about everything and nothing. But not about me. Never about me. I wanted to scream, to make them see me, hear me. But what's the point? I went to my room early. I don't want to be around them. I don't want to be around anyone. It's better in my room, with my drawings, with my thoughts. They can't hurt me here. They can't ignore me if I'm not there. Away from everyone, I'm free. Free to be me, with my friends. With my memories. They're the only ones who don't judge me, who don't whisper behind my back. They're my true friends. My only friends. I feel so alone, Diary. So utterly alone. It's like I'm living in a world where I just don't fit. A world that doesn't want me. Sometimes I wonder why I was even born. But I have you, Diary. You and my friends are the only ones I can talk to. The only ones who listen. I just wish you could talk back. Ellie. Warning, signal interruption detected. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. 
It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As I enter the Redwood Bureau briefing room, the air is thick with urgency. I'm the Redwood Bureau's answer for the growing threats. Called in for the worst of the worst, the lead analyst, Carter, greets me with a nod, his face grim. Agent Mace, Reaper, he begins, his voice steady but tense. We're dealing with a unique and escalating threat. Ellie, a 13-year-old girl from a coastal town, has developed an extraordinary ability to animate and control the dead. The words hang heavy in the room, but I don't flinch. For him, this is an emergency. For me, it's just another day. I listen, my mind calculating as Carter continues, detailing the specifics. Ellie's abilities manifested suddenly, reaching a peak last night. Reports indicate a growing amount of animated corpses causing widespread chaos and destruction. Her control seems to extend beyond mere animation. These entities exhibit coordinated behavior, suggesting a telepathic or psychic link. I interject. Casualty percentage. Carter shakes his head. Uncertain. The situation is volatile. Witnesses are scarce, and the town's communication lines are down. I access the information already strategizing. Anyone get out? One so far? School principal. Carter responds. We have him in a trailer at the forward base just outside of town. I nod, understanding the gravity. Then that's my first stop. Where does Intel put the threat level? Carter looks at me straight in the eye. Disastrous, with a potential shift to apocalyptic. Her powers are growing and we don't fully understand the extent or limits. If she continues unchecked, the entire region, possibly more, is at risk. If she gains the power to control tens of thousands or millions of corpses, she could be unstoppable. The room falls silent for a moment. I break the stillness. Containment strategy? We need to neutralize Ellie, which will likely neutralize the entity she's controlling. Standard protocols won't suffice, this is uncharted territory, Carter states, handing me a file. I skim through the file, absorbing the details. I'll lead the containment team. We'll move in full force within the hour. Carter nods in agreement. We're authorizing full operational discretion, Reaper. Do what you must. And remember, confidentiality is paramount. Confidentiality, a polite way of saying, wipe out everything. I nod in acknowledgement, my mind already grinding through the logistics of the mission. As I leave the briefing room, the weight of the mission settles on me. 
If left unchecked, this girl would likely become a force that would destroy life as we know it. But I'm ready. In my world, hesitation isn't an option. And failure isn't in my vocabulary. Dear Diary, Today might have been the worst day ever. It started just like any other day. But by lunchtime, everything changed. I was sitting alone under the oak tree, away from everyone else. When I heard them, the whispers, the laughter. They were coming towards me, a group of kids from my class. Their faces twisted in mockery. At first, it was just words. The same cruel taunts they always hurl at me. Weirdo. Freak. Zombie girl. I tried to ignore them, to just disappear into my thoughts. But they wouldn't stop. And then it got worse. They started throwing rocks. Small ones at first. But they got bigger. I tried to shield myself, but the rocks kept coming, battering and bruising, as I cried for them to stop. One hit my head, and I felt blood trickle down. Why were they doing this? What had I ever done to them? I looked around for anyone, screamed, and begged for someone to help. Even the teachers just turned away and walked inside. No one came to stop them. No one came to help me. With tears streaming down my face, I ran. I ran away from their laughter, away from their cruelty. I ran all the way home, but mom and dad weren't there. I tried calling them, but they didn't answer. I know they don't care. Like no one in this whole world cares about me. So I ran to the only place I feel safe. My secret spot in the woods. Here, surrounded by the trees. And the quiet, I can breathe. The animals. The dead things I find. They don't hurt me. They don't throw rocks or call me names. They just listen. I don't understand, Diary. Why do they hate me so much? What's so wrong with me? I'm just Ellie. I'm sitting here, my head still hurting. I don't know what to do, Diary. I'm scared of them, but I'm also scared of myself. Scared of what I might become if this hatred inside me keeps growing. Ellie. Dear Diary, I spent another whole day in my fort. You know it's not just a bunch of logs and branches. It's my kingdom, my safe place, and I've made it special. Just for me and my friends. When you step inside, it's like entering a different world. The walls are lined with branches I've woven together, making it feel cozy, 
almost like a real home. I've covered the ground with moss and leaves, soft and welcoming. In the corners, I set up little scenes. Over here I have Mr. Squirrel, sitting at the table I made from a flat stone. He's having a feast, surrounded by acorns and berries I've collected for him. His fur is matted, and he's missing an eye, but I still think he looks quite distinguished. Then there's Mrs. Crow. I found her last month. Her wing was broken. Now she perches atop a stack of rocks, overseeing the fort. I talk to her a lot. She's a great listener, even though her eyes are clouded over. In the center, I arranged a circle of smaller friends, field mice, a couple of frogs, and even a snake. They're having a tea party with tiny cups I made from acorn caps. They're always here, enjoying their never-ending party. Maybe everyone else thinks it's weird, but to me, it's normal. It's comforting. Here in my fort, I'm not the odd one out. I'm the queen, and my friends are my loyal subjects. They never laugh at me, never call me names. They're just happy to be here with me. As I sit here surrounded by my silent friends, I sometimes forget about the outside world. The world where I don't fit in, where I'm just the strange girl who talks to dead things. But here in my fort, I'm just Ellie. Tomorrow's my birthday. I almost forgot. I'll be 13. I don't feel excited about it. It's just another day, really. At least it will be a day in my world with my friends. Maybe I'll have a little celebration here, just me and them. It'll be our secret party. I wonder if anyone will remember it's my birthday. But then again, it doesn't matter. I have everything I need right here. Ellie. Dear Diary, Today I woke up to the same silence that greets me every morning. But today was different. It's my birthday. I'm 13 now. I lay in my fort, staring at the canopy of woven branches above, feeling the weight of loneliness. No one remembers. No one cares. Just another day for everyone else, but for me it's supposed to be special. At least it is for everyone else. I turn to my silent friends, the ones who've ever been there for me. It's my birthday today, I whispered to Mrs. Crow. Her lifeless eyes staring back. But I guess that doesn't mean much, I said, voicing my thoughts to the void. But then, something miraculous happened. Mrs. Crow's beak moved, and her raspy voice echoed, Happy birthday, Ellie. My heart stopped. Was I imagining things? 
But then Mr. Squirrel's paw lifted as if to wave, and the snake coiled around a branch seemed to nod. I couldn't believe my friends weren't just dead. They were responding, really responding. For the first time in forever, I felt a surge of genuine happiness. After some time, I realized that I was the one making them move and speak. Somehow their bodies were reacting to my will. I spent this morning experimenting, finding I could make them speak and move easier as time went on. I gently erased Mr. Squirrel's paw, manipulated the bird's wings. It was like being a puppeteer, but much more magical. As the day progressed, my excitement grew. I discovered I could do more than just mood them. I could levitate them, make them dance in the air. It was like a dream. A beautiful, surreal dream where I wasn't the outcast, but something far more. Like a magical princess. We played games, had races. Mrs. Crow and Mr. Squirrel raced around the fort. Their movements controlled by my will. I laughed a real joyous laugh that I hadn't heard in so long. For once, the world outside my fort, with its cruelty and loneliness, faded away. Here, I was queen. And my subjects adored me. As the sun began to set, casting long shadows through the trees, I felt a sense of peace settle over me. This was the best birthday I could ever have imagined. Here of my friends, I wasn't just Ellie, the weird girl who talked to dead things. I was Ellie, the girl who was special. I'm going to sleep tonight with their gentle, silent forms around me feeling less alone than I have in years. Tomorrow I'll tell mom and dad. They'll have to see that I'm special, that my friends are more than just dead things. They're a part of me, a magical, wonderful part of my world. For the first time, I'm excited for what tomorrow might bring. Ellie. Dear diary, today I woke up with that flicker of hope in my heart, still burning, thinking maybe, just maybe, everything could change. But as I walked home, clutching Mr. Raccoon's lifeless body, that hope was slowly fading as doubt came clawing its way in. Why did I think things could be different now? Entering the kitchen, I saw my parents, in their usual places, lost in their own worlds. Today, I was determined to break through their indifference. I carefully placed Mr. Raccoon on the table. His fur was matted, his body stiff. Only I knew he was more than just a lifeless form. Quicker than I planned for their apathetic disregard turned into scalding anger. My dad stood up from his chair, red in the face. 
screaming while spit flew from his mouth. I held up my hand, hoping to once again gain their attention. To my shock, it did. The room was tense as we all traded glances in awkward silence. Swallowing resolutely, I pointed at Mr. Raccoon. I focused all my will on him, making his limbs twitch, his body rise. He walked in a jerky, unsteady gait around the table. I wanted them to see, to understand the miracle I had discovered. The silence continued for a few more stunned moments before erupting into chaotic screams. Their eyes only saw horror. Dad's face contorted in rage, his words cutting through me like knives. Demon, he screamed at me. Mom's voice joined in, a high-pitched, frantic command. Kill her! She shrieked. Before I could react, Dad tackled me onto the floor, his hands wrapped around my throat. Squeezing harder and harder, I gasped for air. My fist pounding weakly against him. My vision started to darken, the edges of my world closing in. In that moment of desperation, I turned my focus to Mr. Raccoon. I imagined the bones in his arms growing, morphing into something sharp, something lethal. His body obeyed my unspoken command, bone spikes tearing through rotten flesh and protruding from his wrists. Obeying the second part of my will, Mr. Raccoon leaped onto Dad's back. The sharpened bones plunged into his neck repeatedly. Dad's grip loosened and he collapsed to the floor, his blood spilling all over me and creating a dark pool around us. I stood slowly panting as Mom backed the corner of the kitchen. Her face was twisted in terror, a knife trembling in her hands. She screamed at me, her words laced with fear and hatred. Demon, she repeated. Stay away, don't touch me. A cruel smile crept on my lips. Okay, I won't touch you, I whispered. With a simple gesture, Dad's lifeless body began to rise, controlled by my will and my intent. Mom's eyes widened in utter disbelief, her screams filling the room. I directed Dad's corpse towards her, its movements jerky yet purposeful. She held the knife out in between Dad and her, tears rolling down her face, begging him to stop. I made his body slowly envelope her hands in a gentle caress, the moment lingering as a sense of relief washed across her face. I then destroyed that moment, commanding Dad's body to break her wrists backwards. Her screams filled the kitchen a moment after the resounding snap. The knife in her broken hands now turned against her, 
Goodbye, mother, I said. My voice cold and attached. Dad's corpse, under my command, plunged the knife into her stomach, relentlessly, until she eventually stopped screaming. A few moments later, Mom stood up to join us. I looked at my parents. Their faces stretched into four smiles as they wrapped their arms around me. They love me now. They don't have a choice. Goodbye, diary. This is where my new life begins. I am not the girl they thought they knew. I am something else entirely. Ellie. Warning, signal interruption detected. Signal connection restored. The diesel engine's hum as our convoy nears the coastal town. The first thing that hits me is the deafening silence. Not a car on the road or a person in sight. A place once teeming with life now resembles a ghost town. That eerie stillness is always a bad sign. We pull into the town's center, our vehicle circling the American flagpole in the roundabout. My team quickly exits geared and ready. Alpha and Bravo, take the east and west sectors. Delta, you're headed south. And Charlie, you're with me. We're going downtown. High command, my voice slicing through the quiet. Each squad leader acknowledges and splits up, moving with practice efficiency. The streets are deserted, cars abandoned, some with doors left ajar, some crashed into each other or traffic lights. Shop windows are shattered, their contents spilled out onto the sidewalks. Blood sporadically covers the streets, painting walls and vehicles. I feel that familiar sense of wrongness you feel when confronted with the unnatural that makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. We come across a public square, and the scene before us is nothing short of evil. I'm sure many would consider me and my team evil. We've contained whole towns on more than one occasion, but what we do has a purpose, a sense of order. This is just killing for the sense of killing. Bodies, or what's left of them, are displayed grotesquely in a fit of hatred and rage. Some are twisted into unnatural shapes, others made into mockingly morbid decorations. It's clear, these were the ones Ellie despised the most. Her power to reshape the dead is confirmed beyond a shadow of a doubt. I report back to command. Situation is worse than anticipated. The subject has capabilities beyond animation. She's manipulating the dead tissue at will. The whole town is a testament to her rapid mental deterioration. Make sure that containment cell in D-Block is prepped and ready. We continue our search. Weapons at the ready sweeping past destroyed houses, blood cover storefronts, and the increasingly disturbing decorations made out of mangled human bodies. As we approach the heart of the town, the epicenter of this nightmare, the reason for these protocols has never been more clear. Stay sharp, I remind my team, 
Ellie is no little girl. This is as much of a monster as anything we've faced. The path to the epicenter of this catastrophe is marked by an increasing trail of destruction. And then, amidst this ruin, we see her. Ellie. She's standing in the open space of the square, a diminutive figure surrounded by an aura of malevolent power. Several hundred corpses surrounded her, like something out of a nightmare. Floating heads hover above like sentinels watching every direction. But now, a majority of them are trained on us. Dead bodies are contorted into unnatural shapes, some fused together to form bigger, more horrific soldiers. Her eyes are a pale white, looking more like the dead surrounding her than a person. She looks at us, her gaze piercing and unafraid. There's a sense of control, of purpose, but also madness and hate. I signal my team to halt, assessing the situation. Quietly, I cue my throat mic and whisper, All squads on me. Before calling out, Ellie, you need to stop this. A lot of people are dead because of you. But she doesn't respond with words. Instead, with a mere gesture. The grotesque figures around her stir. Standing in between us in defiance of our presence, it's a display of her power. A demonstration of her dominion over these dead puppets. And a threat. On my go, I whisper into the mic, my hand instinctively moving to my weapon. The moment is tense as Ellie sizes us up. I'm sure to her we look like nothing more than cops. Judging by the bodies standing before us, she's already killed all the cops in this town. I gladly let her think that, and let the time pass as every moment brings the rest of my team closer to the impending fight. The only sounds are the creaking of the animated corpses finding their positions, and the quiet rustle of our gear in time with our steady breathing. Ellie points at us, and all hell breaks loose. The dead throw themselves at us with no thought of self-preservation or tactical thought. Some run, some walk, and some simply float towards us. The staccato of automatic weapons fire echoes through dead town as our bullets tear through the heads of the animated corpses with practiced, deadly efficiency. With enough damage, the corpses fall back to the ground, lifeless, as nature intended. As soon as Ellie manages to find the spare mental energy, she somehow mends the broken corpses and gets them back into the fight. A sinking feeling starts growing in my stomach. This could get bad. The sickening sound of rotting flesh squelches underfoot as I advance firing my rifle at the closest shambling dead. The rotting stench is almost overpowering. As the bullets tear pieces from them, they're getting closer, faster, 
More coordinated, I think to myself before a rotten form lunges at me, as the one it was hiding behind falls to the ground, still. Its eyes are hollow, yet filled with rage as it covers ten feet in the blink of an eye. I react instinctively, firing my weapon with pinpoint accuracy. The bullets tear through its decaying flesh, but it keeps coming, driven by Ellie's will. I sidestep it and let it fly past me as it crashes into the ground, a rotting tangle of limbs. I stomp its head into a paste with the heap of my boot, before taking a mere moment to recenter, clear my breathe, and reassess the field. To my left, I see one of my men grappling with a corpse. Its hands, cold and unyielding, are wrapping around his throat. I am in fire, two shots clean through its elbow, severing the arms. My teammate gasps for air, nodding before blasting it apart with his shotgun. We have no time to waste. We press on. The air crackles with an unseen power, the dead responding to the rising threat our presence brings. Severed heads now bombard us, crude bone spikes protruding from their mouths aimed to impale. The dead attack with a viciousness that it feels personal. I duck and weave, firing at every incoming threat prioritized by distance. We're outnumbered, but not outclassed. We move as one, covering each other, firing in controlled bursts. But it's like trying to hold back a tide. For every dead form we take down is back on its feet, or joined with another only a short time later. I glance towards Ellie. She stands amidst the chaos, her face twisted in a burning rage. As inhuman as the dead, intending on adding our bodies to their ranks. I know that to end this, we must reach her. But she's surrounded by a wall of death. We only need to hold out a few moments longer. I think to myself as I steal a glance at my watch, seeing the incoming proximity of my other three squads. Finally, I see my three teams approaching from different sides. Without wasting a moment, I cue my throat mic yelling, Move in! All teams focus fire on Ellie! Rounds screaming from all directions towards her, taking out her inner guard. With wide eyes, she realizes the newfound danger, pulling her dead puppets back towards her. The quickest to arrive were the sentinels, floating heads by the dozen swarming around her, dropping and re-adding themselves to the revolving shield as bullets punctured through them. With every passing moment, more and more of the corpses surround her. Many are no longer even animated, or whole. It's just rotten flesh, absorbing the rounds. Suddenly, she's surrounded by a swirling mass of dead bodies, reaching 20 feet up and enclosing around her like a spinning dome. The display is extraordinary and terrifying. I don't know what her next move is from within that mass of churning flesh. And I don't want to find out. Six men on me. Focus fire on my mark. I command as two men from each team quickly join my side and begin firing. Our bullets tear into the mass, creating openings that struggle to close. Through one, I momentarily locked eyes with Ellie. 
her face an elongated mask of rage. She let out a scream that was echoed by the swirling tide of corpses. A sound I still can't seem to get out of my head. I spot an opportunity, a momentary lapse in the maelstrom of dead flesh. Now, I shout. The six agents by my side fired their underbarrel attached 40 millimeter grenades, blasting multiple large holes in the barrier that fight to close. My rifle at the ready, an experimental high velocity round chambered and waiting. The air is thick with the stench of decay and gunpowder. I inhale, holding my breath. One, two, I exhale, gently squeezing the trigger. With an ear-ringing explosion, the bullet cuts through the chaos, through the closing wall of death, and strikes Ellie squarely in the forehead. I watch, almost in slow motion as the adrenaline skews my perception of time. Her body falls towards the ground, head rocked back, while the mass of dead flesh reigns around her, some parts still twitching with residual energy. Contain her, I order. A team quickly pulls a vanin, securing Ellie's body in a lead box. It's a tight fit, her body barely squeezing in. But it's necessary. We can't risk a resurgence of her power. I radio in the sweeper team. This is Reaper. The target is contained. Begin cleanup operations. Leave nothing behind. The cleanup crew rolls in moments after, flamethrowers in hand, methodically burning everything in their path. The flames roar, consuming the twisted forms of the reanimated dead. Every trace of her presence is engulfed in fire. As our convoy departs, the town, a smoldering ruin behind us. I reflect on the mission. We stomped Ellie because someone had to. In this line of work, the lines between right and wrong are so blurred you couldn't find them if you had a moral compass implanted in your skull and a seeing eye dog named Righteousness. But I know my place. I'm not the hero. I'm the more dangerous monster. The case of Ellie, Redwood Bureau Phenomenon 8366, unraveled truths that shouldn't be possible. What began as an innocuous isolated incident in a small disconnected town rapidly escalated into a scenario that challenged our very understanding of life and death. The Bureau's response to Ellie's emergence was systematic and cold. Their primary aim was not to save civilians or protect those left alive, but to contain Ellie and eventually control the power she wielded. This phenomenon, like most, represented not just a threat, but an opportunity for the Bureau to increase their power over this world and life itself. As the situation escalated, the Bureau's methods grew more ruthless. Their quarantine of the town was not an act of preservation, 
but one of control. The townspeople had become a witness to something the Bureau did not want getting out. In the typical Redwood Bureau fashion, witnesses, like Phenomenon, are to be contained. The Bureau's response to Ellie, a young girl caught in a web of unimaginable power, once again shows their disturbing lack of empathy. Any and all in their path to power and secrecy are imprisoned or destroyed. In the aftermath, the town that once teemed with life stands as a stark reminder of what exactly the Bureau is capable of. Every case I've seen involving the agent known as Reaper ends in death and destruction on a wide scale. As we think over RBP 8366, we must ponder the ethical and long-lasting ramifications of the Bureau's actions. Their pursuit of knowledge and control often comes at the cost of innocent lives, a price they seem all too willing to pay. More disturbing still, I've come across files that hint at similar incidents. It seems Ellie might not be an isolated case, but part of a larger, more complex pattern. These emerging cases suggest an array of interconnected events, each thread revealing a part of a larger, more ominous picture. As the Bureau scrambles to contain these occurrences, I can only wonder what horrors await those poor souls, unlucky and uninformed enough to be caught in the crossfire. crossfire. Remember, this room is lined with lead. It disrupts abilities. Keep her in check. Before you enter, always go through the scanner. No contact with dead flesh for 24 hours. No meat for at least four. Understood, sir. But why strict precautions? I thought you killed her. Right on time. On time for what, sir? This is why. Ellie doesn't stay dead. Every three hours, like clockwork. You have to put her back to sleep. Don't talk to her. Don't get near her. Follow the checklist. Update your replacement. Every three hours? But how? We don't ask how. We contain. That's our job. How is someone else's department agent? You follow the list, shoot the girl, and don't fuck up. Got it? Yes, sir. <laughs>